Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome marketers, advertisers, and those who love them to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here today with my guest, Patrizio Spagnoletto, also known as Pato. Today's topic, a content streamer's view of media and the marketplace. Now, Pato has been in marketing and the digital space for a number of companies, including Overture, Yahoo, and Farmers Insurance. More recently, he was the EVP of marketing at Hulu, and he's now the global CMO of Warner Brothers Discovery. Full disclosure, I've known Pato for over a decade as we worked together at Farmers Insurance. I think he brings a very unique perspective to the show, having been on both the media buying, the media selling, and now the content providing side of the table. Welcome, Pato. Thanks, Mike. Really good to see you. This is a bit surreal, but it's fun. <laughs> it is super fun. All right, Pato, let's start. Give us a quick overview of the content marketplace and what you are seeing today, because it is one of the most interesting industries out there. It always has been, but now it is even more interesting, if that's possible. Yeah, look, Mike, it's it's been changing. I've been in this industry now for about six or seven years since I joined Hulu in late 2016. And think of it this way, there's the content, which is the product, there's how the content is being distributed, and then how the whole thing is monetized, the business model. All three have changed dramatically in the last 15 years, and certainly in the last six since I've been here. In terms of content creation, we've gone through very traditional models, which was either theatrical or television, to now everything that is from 20 minutes to multiple series and how the series are created. Um, think about YouTube, not just streamers, but think about TikTok. This is all content creation that did not exist uh, in the case of TikTok, you know, years ago. Right. How it's distributed on TV, we used to turn on our cable box and we used to choose from one of 200 plus channels and pay whatever it is we had to pay to watch it. And while there was some comfort in doing that, it was also very overwhelming. And you fast forward to today, and there are so many streamers, so much great content. And while it's provided optionality, it's also provided a ton of confusion. And last but not least, the model by which this is all monetized is just literally changing in front of us. We've gone through a model where it was just through cable operators to now a model that is direct to consumer and in the last six years, or actually, sorry, probably a lot longer than that, 10, 15 years, it was all about subscriber growth. And there was this whole notion of subscriber at any cost. Right. And then last year, we woke up when Netflix had an earnings in Q1 that was below expectations. And everybody's like, oh, my God, there's not as many subscribers. It's not subscribers at any cost. It's profitability, which to any other industry, like, duh, of course, yeah, it's about okay. profitability. Right. I'll make it up on volume. It took, us, it took us a minute to realize that it had to be sustainable and profitable growth. So over the last you know, seven quarters or so, the entire industry is kind of rethinking the business model 
And keep in mind that companies like Warner Brothers Discovery, Disney, Paramount, uh, Universal are in a world of the old school um, or traditional school. I shouldn't call it old school, as well as this new world of streaming and balancing the two is very complicated. So that's where you find me today. And when you ask me kind of what's interesting, it's all of that. It's all of that as the backdrop on how we market the service and specific titles on a daily basis. That's a great overview. Thank you for that. And so we have we have all every, everything changing. And then also we have the employees and then the writer strike and AI and all this stuff on top of all that changing. Write, write the consumer into the story here, because in the end, there's there's the you know where all this money comes from is consumers are paying one way or another. There's all this stuff going on. Tell me what the consumer is, what what you see from the consumer, and then we can talk about how companies are reacting to that. Yeah, look, the consumers have gone through their own journey in all this, right? They went from this simple world of a subscription linear TV to this explosion of not just services, but content. More content hours have been uh, created and developed in the last five years than any point in the history of content creation. And it's really good content, right? Across the board. Um, so that's the good part. The also good part that is not sustainable was the, oh, well, so do you want Hulu at, you know, at the time $5.99 and Disney Plus at $6.99 and, you know, all these great services at very modest entry points. Right. But you had all these things and now you turn on your TV. I don't know. I don't know what you have, Mike, but if it's a rope or a fire TV, whatever it is, and there's this like, wave of of uh, streaming services and you're like i i don't know which one's which and i don't know wait that show that i really loved is that on netflix or is that on max or is oh, that and then on- they move in and out and exactly. I, I have Roku, they move in and out and then and uh yeah but also so, i will say a lot of the content i know you uh, there's a lot of great content there's an awful lot of content where you look through and you're like there is nothing though i want to watch so yeah well it's because one you have to sift through the numerous number of apps and two within the app you have to sift through all the content that is within each one of those right so right. any reco engine can only do so much in bringing you what is good for you um and so it's really challenging that's the part that consumers i think kind of in some ways long for the simpler days of what linear subscription looked like because you just turn it on and you kind of knew what was there um also in this war for subscriber growth at any cost, we've inundated consumers with a ton of content at what I'm calling is really unsustainable price points. And so unfortunately, we have to go through a corrective period. And you've seen this in the last you know, 24 months where pretty much every single service has increased prices, uh, in some cases more than once, because we have to right size the value uh, equation. And so, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, as I look forward, there's going to be more of that. There's going to be more right-sizing because we have to get to profitability as an industry, Max included, and we have to find the right balance between content creation um, and, and again, how much value that is extracted and as defined by subscribers and their lifetime with us. So, so and, and, and then I, I want to drill down on this a little bit because the consumers are in the middle of this fight, as we saw with the charter dispute with disney right up into you know uh football season basically how, how what are consumers doing uh because you, you know there's all this price raising you, they're caught in the middle of a lot of this fight there's the 
you know, strike, which is saying maybe your show's not going to come on again for another year. What are what what are you hearing from them? So look, for the longest time, the average number of streaming services for consumers uh, was going up, right? It was one, then two, then three, then close to five. And now it's basically slowed down, if not actually going back. And what that's telling us is consumers are like, time out, just nope, too much. I, I need my core three. And then outside of those core three, I may rotate some of the other services depending on what content is on them. That's what consumers are telling us. And especially as price points go up and, and, and this economic uh, pressure, they're, they're like, no, this, this is too much. Like this whole promise of like, I used to spend an average of $120 on cable, but now I get to save because Netflix was only 14. It, sure, Netflix is still, you know, whatever, a little bit more than 14 now, but then you gotta add Disney Plus and you gotta add Max. And so consumers are feeling the pressure and they're voting with their wallets. Yeah. And you might appreciate this as a fellow marketer, but I have a strong belief that content is the product, bar none. Right. We all have great content. What I think over the long term will help services win is the strength of the brand. And if you think about Netflix as a first mover advantage, who is a formidable player, most people, when they turn on their TVs at night and they don't know what to watch, yeah. they'll probably go to Netflix first. Yeah, That's the strength of their brand. And I think we as an industry, and Max in particular, need to be in a place where the brand can make a promise that the platform can deliver on. And we launched Max... Uh, a little, you know, a little more than three months ago now, uh, towards the end of May. And as you may or may not know, Mike, you know, this was a rebrand of a new service from what was HBO Max. Oh, I know because I, I like I, I'm going to jump questions and jump to that. Tell me about the thinking behind this. And you know, you read a bunch of marketers saying, "Oh gosh, you know, they threw away a ton of value with with HBO. They should have." You know, because HBO is a big brand. T tell me, tell me the thinking behind this, and then we'll go back. We're, we're going to go back to the consumer and the other stuff. Sure. So, I, uh, I will say, Mike, that throughout that entire process, I thought of you many times as as I saw you kind of work through rebrand launches in your career. But look, HBO Max <clears throat> was established uh, about three years ago as a natural evolution of what was is HBO on the linear side. HBO is a formidable brand, yeah, full crazy. stop. It has decades of equity tied to excellence in quality storytelling. HBO Max leaned heavily on the HBO part of the brand. And three years into it, it still had all those elements of quality content for, um, for a certain segment of the audience. So that cuts both ways, right? Because if I don't like HBO, I just, I don't like HBO. I don't care how you package it. I just don't like it. And when we uh, launched the service now called Max, under the umbrella of Max, a ton of content of which some of it is HBO. So it felt like a very meaningful opportunity to reset the overall brand to something that could encompass and include all of the great content from HBO to the Max Originals, to HGTV, 
to you know so on and so forth like there is certain content right now in max um that is more in the reality genre that as good as it is for the quality of that type of content you just would never think of it as an hbo title right so, it wouldn't be sticking it there with the sopranos and boardwalk Empire. right 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 so you know the, the show that we like to use as an example is dr pimple popper which you know it's kind of funny kind of laid back kind of what tv we're watching but that is very different from what you think about when HBO. So it was ultimately a really simple decision is do you kill HBO max or do you kill HBO? Cause if we stayed with HBO max, the equity that HBO had would erode. And we, we, I think strongly believe that the, the right, this decision. And in fact, the metrics are starting to show it that by up leveling the brand to max, we not only provided that umbrella for the other content, but we are protecting and continuing to invest in HBO because we still market individual HBO titles as such, but they can be found on Max. So there's a lot of, you know, it's easy for me to say this to you now in retrospect, but as you can imagine, tons of research, tons of debate. It's a very uh, considered decision when you're making something like this happen. I'm certain. And I, I thank you for explaining it. And also, who knew the power of Dr. Pimple Popper? Uh -oh. <laughs> hey, so, so we, we talked about consumers. We, we talked a little bit about linear. It, it's linear. It's linear just doomed. Like, like it, and then I want to talk about the difference between linear and streaming. And then how do you, what's streaming success look like down the road? So evolve us from today's marketplace where linear is shorter or less and less. And everyone's moving to streaming. What's, what's it going to look like in a couple of years? And how do I think about, um, you know, what, what's a streaming company? How do you win in streaming? So on the first question, uh, look, there's two parts to it. There's the audience that consumes on linear, and then there's the content that is offered on linear. Yeah. From a demographic, uh, linear subscribers age higher, right? So um, slightly older demographics that are very, you know, happy with the offering, but it is aging higher. If you look lower or younger, the demographics, more and more of those are cord cutters or cord nevers that they just never really sign up for linear. Yeah. On the content offering, fewer hours are being produced for linear vis-a-vis -vis streaming, but there are two big things that are really, really helping protect linear. News and sports, right. live events, right? Live events. As long as live events continue to be predominantly on linear, Linear will continue to do well, and it'll kind of continue to have this ecosystem of other content behind it. As those pieces start to move, and some of them have, like we're seeing it now, right? Um, it starts to put that model more and more in danger. At the height, subscription linear TV had you know something like a hundred million subscribers. Latest estimates, I think, are around you know the the mid to low sixties. Right. Will it go to zero? I doubt it. Certainly not in the next few years, but it is on this decline. And I think we, the consumers, the content creators, and the companies that participate in it are all keenly aware of it. And so it is about finding this delicate balance and dance of transitioning from one business model to both business models to maybe eventually it's just the streaming, but I, th I think that is still a ways away. Because if you take sports out of this game, if you, if linear loses sports, they, you know, linear is really, I mean, news is super important, but, you know, you lose so much power. 
Yeah, I mean, sports, you know, NHL, NFL, NBA have had record, record ratings in the last few years in terms of viewership. And it's such a uh, keystone to, to linear subscription that we just need to be, we meaning both, again, the carriers, like, you know, we have sports on some of our networks. The, the leagues want to maximize their audiences so they can't just cut from one to the other. Right. Uh, the distributors have obviously a very big stake in this. It is a, you know, it's a, it's a very complicated moment uh, that is happening in our industry. And I think we're all like, you go back to the Disney charter, you know, it was really focused around ESPN. Right. For many of us that looked like a bit of a watershed moment because if ESPN is, you know, the per main purveyor of sports is no longer on linear and you have companies like charter saying this may not be worth it for us anymore. Right. That that's a critical moment, and obviously we you know that solved itself for now, but it's a tension that continues to live in this industry. Right, it got resolved, but it's not done. Uh, yeah. Hey, let's let's move in. Where we're talking about consumers, you all have something you call mood states, M O O D states. Um, tell us about mood states and what it means, and and how you either program or market against it. Yeah, I mean, look, it's actually pretty simple. It's, you know, things that us marketers like to do for our, for our small, simple brains to <laughs> make sure we're doing things right. But, look, I, I uh, sometimes turn on my TV on a Saturday night and I just want to watch a movie and lean in and just uh, enjoy great storytelling. Sometimes I just put the news in the background. Sometimes I watch and binge a show. These are just different mood states. Sometimes I want to be entertained. Sometimes I just want company. Sometimes I want to be informed. Each mood comes with a different set of viewing habits. Like the watching of movies, maybe once a week. News is every day for 30 minutes, right? The more I understand the very smooth states of my audience, the better I can build a relationship with them and the better we can serve them the content that they're looking for. So that opens the door on whether it's creative from a, from a branding and a, and a marketing perspective or merchandising in the platform or CRM, when we want people to come back, the more we know what their habits are, the better we can serve content to bring them back. Hey, can you give me a, a live example of this with uh, like programming show or marketing in it? Uh, sure, actually. We um, I, we were talking about Hard Knocks, a great show sports related. And uh, coincidentally aired, uh, you know, right before the start of the UNFL season. The more we know that people are watching that, the more we know that they have affinity towards sports right. and that they have certain viewing habits. Because of that, as we start to think about how we enter the world of sports, it gives us a ton of insight on how to program uh, our marketing. So aside just general awareness that certain sports will be on the platform, tune in. Do I send you a tune in message two days before, two hours before, 20 minutes before? After you watch the game, do you need a palate cleanser on, uh, you know, maybe a comedy? Or are you better, or you're like, Depends I'm all in. Depends or not, I guess, probably. Right. Or are you all in and you want to watch Hard Knocks right after that because you just cannot get enough, Right. It's connecting all these dots of what we see on our platform, in this case for sports, that just helps us get it 
better and better. I don't want to say you get it right because we don't always get it no, right. I never get it right. Yeah. But it's just getting better. And I think that's the name of the game. And it's really exciting. It's really, really exciting. The benefit of operating in a direct-to-consumer business is that we have first-party data and like this interaction of how they they choose to consume our product, which is really helpful. This is super first-party data too, because it's yeah. got so much attached to it. So so let's write CMOs and agencies into the story here you you sketched a great uh like what's going on in the business what's going on in the consumer now we got all these marketers out there like not in streaming um we got all these agencies out there what should they be doing now uh both in the u.s and internationally to be ranting here yeah, I'll say that I don't know that I have the right answer, but I will tell you how I am approaching it, and hopefully it resonates with some some folks out there. You and I work together, Mike, and one of the things I learned from you is that I think the best marketers are actually business people who know how to apply marketing to solve for business problems, and that could not be more true in this situation and in this industry that I'm that I happen to be in right now. Understanding the context of the industry and the business is foundational to me doing my job well, because in my role as a marketer here, we are, you know, I, I say this internally in some ways, we're kind of the equivalent of a sales team because there is no sales team. Marketing in a direct-to-consumer is everything from awareness to retention and everything in between, right? So. We have to make people aware of the show of the, the the platform. We have to bring them in. We have to convert them. We have to keep them happy. And if they choose to leave, we have to convince them to come back. It's full funnel, truly full funnel. And so understanding each of those points and the inflections and the leading indicators makes us better marketers. Gone, long gone are the days where it's like, oh man, I have the best brand positioning and the best campaign and I'm going to put it out there because as long as my brand awareness and familiarity is up here, everything else trickles down. Oh my God. If, if I, I wouldn't last two weeks yeah. if that was my approach to this current role because again, I, I view myself and I am therefore viewed as accountable for the results of the business, not just the marketing metrics. So that's that's tough. Let me drill down one step. So you bought ads, you've sold ads when you were uh, at, at Yahoo and other places, and now you, you are running platforms. How should marketers be thinking about using all of the media platforms content available to deliver their brand or CRM, whatever message they want to deliver? And then there's a follow on to that is what's the best and worst practices you're seeing out there, folks that are dealing with this? I mean, look, from a, from a media perspective, the importance of media hasn't changed in the picture. Um, how it's deployed is what's changed, right? right. Because of the, the foundational amount of data that is available out there and that we know about our customers, it makes us that much smarter in how we deploy media. And so in our world, that looks like the break between true brand campaigns versus title specific versus performance marketing and the mix between the three and how the mix yields the optimal number of gross ads and lifetime value. 
it, it sounds really simple. It is highly complicated. Way more complicated than than I ever understand it. Thank God there are really smart people that do this. But if our CFO comes to me tomorrow and says, "I have an extra hundred dollars," how would you deploy it, and what could I get back for it? I could give them a highly confident answer on that because of this data and because on how we know that the mix of all these channels work. So that is how we think about that. And two points, as you said, I was, you know, in a world where we sold media, in a world where we bought media. And what I learned here is that um, there are parts of media that are highly measurable and that you can like check to the last door. Right. And there are parts of media that you can't, right? And even if we put in a media mix model that it kind of helps you feel better, as marketers, we will always have to use judgment on top of data. There is no world in which you just press a button and it's done because what that will do, it'll start models to start optimizing themselves into a corner. And we just can't afford to do that because things are changing way too fast. I, I agree with this, but there's been a whole bunch of companies, particularly in the revaluation and they, you know, we're having a recession. No, we're not in a recession. That basically stepped massively from their brand. They're, they're, I can't measure it, media. Is, is that going to be a negative to them? Or do you have any advice for them on what they should be doing? Or how, how do you even think about that? Yeah, I mean, look, for us, it's it's fairly scientific. We can prove, like literally over time, that the right media mix between brand and performance drives multiple subscribers for us. We in only lower funnel in demand capture, it is short-lived, and we will pay the price. Yeah, if the top of the funnel doesn't. The top of the funnel it, doesn't. It, it, honestly, this whole like upper funnel, lower funnel is such a misnomer. All media is intended to result. Just right. some of it is planting seeds, and some of it is reaping seeds, and, and you can do both. And thankfully, through the science and the discipline and the relationship that we've built with our CFO. There is not the don't spend it here. There is the here's the hundred dollars. You go spend it the best way to get results for the company. And I think that is the optimal result, which has taken us a while. And I give a ton of credit to our CFO and the team to have built that relationship where it's less about the don't spend here, spend there. Right. And it's more about the where's our where's the return. That's good balance between the top and the bottom of the funnel. Because yes, the whole funnel can't it, it, just harvest you just would uh, you hardly need any media you could just harvest but sadly it doesn't work that way so yeah so uh before i get to the last question because we're 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 gonna run out of time and this has been i think super helpful what are you watching now that you want to tell our viewers about oh man i am watching uh a lot. Well, actually, no, that's a lie. I was watching a lot and then work got in the way. So it's such a big chunk out of your day, doesn't it? it it's really considerate. Uh, yeah. Um, look, I watched uh, a lot of the shows, obviously, on Max uh, because I am incentivized to do them so I can be better marketing. But um, I'll be proud. Look, and just like that, season two was a great, great light show. Um, I really loved The Last of Us. I think it was just a yeah, that was great a lot of fun. story. Great story. Uh, Succession, the last season, was also really great. Uh, so there's there's a lot of great shows. You know, I watch stuff. I'm, I'm watching um, Better Call Saul, which was a, 
That is uh, just a fantastic spinoff. I know. I'm, I'm uh, really enjoying it. And so, look, I, I, I try and keep it balanced. Uh, I, I happen to believe that the shows and Max are really good. But I, I am also open and enjoying shows on other platforms as well. So thank you. Okay. Last question. And it's a two-parter. You can take both or one, but you have to take one. Practical advice to our listeners we haven't talked about and or the funniest story you can share with our listeners. You can take both of those or one. Uh, it's up to you. Uh, I'll start with the second and then go to the first. Okay. So <laughs> I had a manager a few years ago, Mr. Linton, Uh-oh. where you, you may or may not remember this, but we were preparing for some meeting. I don't know. It was some, some, some big meeting. And I think it was my first meeting since I joined your team. And we were going through my slides and I, I think I got to slide two and you're like, stop. I'm like, what? You're like, stand up. I'm like, why? It's just you and I. It's a, it's, he's like, just stand up. I'm like, what? Like, who is this guy? So you had me stand up and present as if I was presenting in the meeting. I'm like, okay, but this is not it. You're like, just do it. And we went through that like four times and you're like, stop. Nope, you're getting lost in the details. Nope, stop, you lost your audience here. And while that was a highly uncomfortable experience, <laughs> as you can imagine, it stuck with me um, because it really taught me how to be concise and how to make sure that in a limited time with an audience that may or may not be captive, that I capture them with what it is that I need to get through to them. And so I brought that with me many times and I've put other people in that uncomfortable situation. So courtesy of you. Okay, uh, to all the people that work for Pato on this, I, I deeply apologize, but it, it is a helpful tool. So it was it was very helpful. And I think it started for me at this this journey that I'm still very much on about how to just be be an effective communicator, which kind of brings me to the, the first point around practicality. You know, I've had an opportunity to talk to a lot of folks who are maybe earlier in their career, and a lot of them are like, what what, what should I do better? What, and and they, they tend to focus on s- skill sets. And what I'll say to them is like, look, skill sets matter. Obviously, without skill sets, you're, you wouldn't be here in the first place, right? But if you don't have the right energy, the right optimism, the right curiosity, the right communication, like the softer skills, the further up you go, at least what I've tended to learn for myself is that it's less about kind of knowing paid search or CRM. And it's more about creating a story and a narrative that first and foremost, you deeply, deeply believe in, and then can have other people participate in that energy and in that conviction. I think the more we can do that as marketers, because look, at the end of the day, we are storytellers. Um, Those stories have to start inside these walls and they have to start with our teams because that's, that's how a movement starts. It's with people who collectively believe in the same thing. And I've always appreciated leaders like yourself and others who have had energy well beyond the daily activities into a mission that will live well after leave these companies and to me that's always been um something that i've been inspired by and and i try to live up to so for for marketers who are maybe kind of more mid-level i would say you know the more inspired you are the more inspiring you can be and i think that's a great thing for us well pato thank you for the kind words and i think that's a great way to end the show thanks for being on the show and thanks everyone for listening to cmo confidential 
Look for our other shows on Evergreen, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, which include Protecting Your Business Integrity, Advice from a Chief, Chief Legal and Ethics Officer. A leading business thinker and futurist talks about what's next. A 360-day look at, at the info interview. And why is B2B marketing so bad and what to do about it? Hey, all you marketers, stay safe out there. This is Mike Linton signing off for CMO Confidential. Today's episode of CMO Confidential is brought to you by CMOcoaches.com. Are you a current or aspiring chief marketing officer looking to take your career to the next level? You should work with a CMO coach. CMO coaches are former CMOs who are nationally certified coaches. So whether you want to improve your leadership skills, develop your team, or drive better business results, we have the experience and expertise to help you succeed. To learn more, visit us at cmocoaches.com. Are you tired of the same old productivity hacks? Have you read the top 20 books on effectiveness and yet your workdays and email inbox still causing anxiety, burnout, and even depression? Ready to learn the latest in brain-based modalities, techniques, and technologies to optimize your success and well-being? Welcome to the Focus to Evolve podcast, where we'll illuminate your path to spacious productivity and balanced thriving. Each week, we dive into deeply insightful and immediately impactful methods to help you become highly effective while promoting health, profitability, and well-being. Say goodbye to the trance of busyness and hello to your highest potential. It's time to discover a new way of accelerating your mission, growth, and purpose. Join us on the Focus to Evolve podcast and get ready to live your most joyful, productive, and fulfilling life. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.